0: Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of the Define University podcast. In this week's podcast, we're going a little personal. We're gonna—I'm going to share part of my story that um, I haven't honestly really shared too too often. Um, but for whatever reason, I feel called to share it. Uh, maybe it's because it's—it's it's a story that I'm seeing play out day to day in my in my career as a behavior specialist. Um, could be something because I see it in my own daughter at home and in all honesty, it's something I'm still working through every single day. And, you know, I think back to when I started this podcast, you know, my very first episode is No More Staying Quiet. And, you know, I shared in that episode that I grew up quiet. Um, I grew up feeling that I didn't have a voice or I didn't have a voice that that deserved to be heard. Um, I have led, led, lived a life, um, I guess, full of always feeling, am I good enough? Do I deserve a a seat at that table? Do I deserve to be at that table? Or sometimes even, you know, what else can I do to be a part of that table? What else can I do to be a part of that community? And it's been a long journey. It has been a you know, transformative journey though, to really understand that there's nothing I have to do. There is nothing I have to do to be who I am. And part of my, the enjoyment of my journey is that I've been able to truly be okay being me and and love who I am in this very moment and understand that who I am today is exactly who I'm meant to be. And Those words that I speak are not cliche. Those words that I speak are not cookie cutter. They are truly how I live my life in that there's nothing I can do to to live a life that I want to live, but it simply gets to be that I, I get to be who it is that I am in this moment, who it is that I get to be. And sometimes that person, even though I have a lot to say, even though I have things to share, sometimes that person still likes to be quiet. Sometimes that person still likes to be reserved and alone and shy and those are not bad things and i think for a long time and you know now at 36 i'm really starting to get a sense of what all of this gets to mean for me and that it means sometimes i am quiet and sometimes i'm loud and it really depends on context and situations and what's going on for you know who i show up as And I think that's the beauty of life, is that we get to decide who that person gets to be and not let someone else get to decide who I'm showing up as. See, nobody else is me. Nobody else gets to define who I am. And yet, when we label students as the quiet one, the aggressive one, the biter, we've predetermined who that student is going to be. And I lived that for years. I was the quiet one, which is why this episode is called Don't Give Up on the Quiet One. Because I want to, I want to hopefully, my goal today is to shine a light on what might be going on inside that student that is quiet, inside that student that is shy, inside that student that is reserved. But please know and understand I am sharing my perspective, I'm sharing my lens and my experience and not anyone else's. And again, the goal being, to truly understand that quiet is OK <laughs> and to not give up on people, to not give up on students because of a, of a predetermined label that we have given to them as the adults that are working with them. And so what I want to start with, and this is actually, it's a part of one of my favorite trainings that I give, and it's really has to do with breaking down your own behavior bias. And I'm going to give you a little, a little sneak peek. This is an activity I do in the beginning of that training. And up on the screen, if you were sitting in front of me or if we were on a virtual training and I was and I was sharing this with you as an audience member, you would see two people up on the board. You would see two lists. You would see person one and person two. And person one, it says a student, 90 percent average in all classes, rarely late or absent from school. Secretary of Student Council senior year, Year year-round athlete, attended state championships as a top-ranked athlete, early acceptance into college of choice. And then you would see person two, and that one states, tired in school after putting brother to bed for the third night in a row started taking antidepressants at 14 years old, started cutting her arms and legs at 16 years old. At least one panic attack per day through college. Swearing and yelling are daily occurrences that she is aware of. And then I go on to share and to to express that both of those people are me. Both of those people are who I am. And so when I was quiet in school, it wasn't because I was lazy or didn't know or didn't want to engage, it was because I was doing the best that I could to be present, because I was exhausted, because I was so confused on things going on in my external world that I had no control over, but felt that I should have control over all of them. I felt that I needed to take care of my younger brother. I felt that I needed to be the glue that was gonna hold my family together because that's all I knew to do. I was a fixer. I was a people pleaser. And if people around me weren't happy, I made it about me. And I made it about something that I must have done wrong, that I didn't know what to do. And so I remained quiet because simply understanding all that the world was around me, that was enough for me. That is all I could do. And so I kept my head down. I looked down. I did well in school because that is something I could do. And my hope was that if I did well in school, that people around me would love me and people would see me for something other than what I was, because what I was, I didn't love. So how could somebody else love me? I was so far trapped in my own body that I didn't know what to do. And so when I hear people talk about students that are quiet and they immediately then follow up with, well, they just must not want to do the work. They're not motivated, they're lazy, they don't care. I have to bite my tongue for a split second because otherwise I'm going to say things in a way that's not going to be heard. But hear me now, that is absolutely not true. They are being quiet for the same reason that some students swear and some students hit and some students kick because that is the best option they have in that very moment. And I have been doing this for long enough. I've been doing it as an educator for 15 years, plus my own experiences. I can confidently say that is accurate and that is true. See, when people are quiet, it doesn't mean they don't care. It means that something else is going on. And until we ask that question, until we can say, hey, I've noticed here this. this is what's going, this is what I think's going on, Tell me, I, I noticed you're quiet. Is there anything that, that you would like to share with me? I, I wished for those days that a teacher would pull me aside in a way that, that I didn't feel like they were, they were out to get me or that they were mad at me, but that they simply wanted to find out what was going on. Until we invest our time to create that trust and safety in each and every student, they're not gonna open up. Why would they? Right? I was having a hard enough time trusting and feeling safe in my home and between my four walls of my home. I, I didn't feel that way at school. I put on the, first, the facade, I, I could fake it really, really well, but I the, the sheer thought of speaking my voice brought panic and that panic attack would overcome. That what if I'm wrong? And sometimes it was even, what if I'm right? I did not want the spotlight on me. I did not want people shining the light on me. I wanted to simply be hidden. I did not want to be seen. And because as soon as I thought, and this is how crazy it gets to be, as soon as I perceived that somebody might be looking at me, the tears started flowing because I couldn't even handle looking at myself. Well, then the tears started flowing and then I would lose control. So then I would have to leave. And so sometimes it was just easier for me to leave before the tears came, which means I went to the nurse's office quite often. I would go to the bathroom in almost every single class because that was my safe spot. That's where I felt that I could at least be me and I could handle the panic. And I, and, and I think the point to remember is we, as the educator, we won't know why until we invite conversation. And also know this is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one conversation or two or three. It happens over time. But I will say that there were some people in my life that one conversation truly drastically changed things. And why? Well, it's because they spoke to me in a way that nobody else had. See, everybody else had started the conversations with you need. You need to participate more, Lindsay. You need to raise your hand. You need to share what you know with the class. You need to stop being so sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> it it's one of those moments where you're like, but but how? <laughs> right? Everything was put on me. Well, trust me when I say I already put enough pressure on myself. I didn't need now the added pressure of my educators, of my teachers being upset with me because I wasn't doing something to their standards, to their predetermined standards. So when those conversations happened that, that did shift pretty quickly, it was things, they were said to me like, I loved that you were smiling today. I loved that you were here today. It wasn't about what I didn't do. It was about them seeing me for me. See, and here's the here's the interesting part. I grew up in a home where everything I needed was provided. I, I didn't have to worry about money. I did not have to worry about food. I didn't have to worry about, you know, having a safe home. I, I was that, you know, that... At 16, I was, you know, my, my present for my birthday was a car. And, and, you know, I'm stumbling over my words saying it because that, that guilt is still there. That guilt of knowing, like, I was given every single thing and yet I still was challenged. And so it, it reminds me to remind you that what we see is only ever half the picture. We never see the whole thing because I can't see somebody else's perspective as they're seeing it. I might see it after the fact when we've had a conversation when we've talked about it. But I can't know someone else's perspective if I haven't yet spoken to that person. I can only know my perception and my understanding. I was provided for in every sense. So from an outside perspective, it looked like I had the best life. And in many ways I did, except for one, (laughs) except for this, this feeling of safety, or this lack of feeling of safety, because I was surrounded by addiction and mental health challenges from the time I can remember. By 15, it didn't phase me to have to call 911 to have a family member supported. It didn't phase me to protect my brother by letting him watch an extra show or two or three at bedtime so he didn't have to hear or see what was going on downstairs. It didn't phase me to not sleep but then go to school and do my very best because that's all I could do. I didn't know how to do anything different because I was good at school. So it meant I could get the good grades all while staying quiet. But see, by my senior year of high school, I was averaging five panic attacks per week. Getting through each day was more than I could that I could do on any given day. And so I stayed quiet because that was an extra that I just didn't have. But being quiet did not mean that I was not interested. I was very much interested, but I didn't know how to ask for it. I didn't know how to seek out help, and I didn't know how to do the things that people would tell me to do such as participate more, raise my hand, share with the class. I didn't know how. And what I needed was I needed somebody to not give up on me. And so I am here sharing with you, don't give up on the quiet ones. Keep going. Keep trying every single day. Do something small, simple, and strategic every day to ignite that passion in that child that you see them for them. Do not give up on the quiet ones. Do not fall into that trap of calling them lazy, unmotivated, that they don't care. They do care. And they probably care so much, but they don't know how to handle. They don't know how to cope. We talk about emotional competence and the thing is is as as young children as adolescents we don't have that yet. The students we work with do not they are not emotionally competent yet. But you know how they get there? They get there when we teach them. They get there when we support and teach. We support in the short term and we teach in the long term. We need that short-term prevention to provide that long-term intervention. But see, interventions only work when trust and safety are in place. And that comes from those small, simple strategic check-ins. Things like the two by 10 strategy, where two minutes a day, that's it, two minutes, we all have two minutes, for 10 consecutive days, you are meeting with that kid. You are talking with that kid. You are giving that student your attention, even if they aren't ready for it. And you follow their lead. If they ask you for space, you provide space. But if a teacher had come up to me when my head was down and just talked to me for two minutes, I can't even tell you how, how much that is what I wanted. I wanted to be seen. While I wanted it to be hidden, I still wanted it to be seen. And hopefully that makes sense. So that two by 10 strategy is so crucial for these students that are quiet and more passive. Taking these walks and talks, but talking about anything other than school. Ask conversations, ask, for que- ask them questions, and invite them to ask you questions back. That is how we connect with our students is through conversation, but it's also through sharing space with that person. And this might also look like having them in for lunch, or coming in during a free period or stopping in in the beginning of the day, the end of the day. Help these students identify the top priority and as the educator, identify the top priority. Is the top priority that the person shares out in class or is the top priority that you know that they know the information? What is it? And, and there's no judgment here if it is sharing out. There's no judgment if it is helping them find their voice, but please just recognize that sharing their voice may not be a verbal voice. It might be written and it might be artistic. It might be through music. How do they show share their voice and show mastery of the content? What's the priority? One of my favorites too is being an ace when you're interacting. So you're gonna acknowledge them by first name. (laughs) Let them know you see them for them. Know their first name. Know how to pronounce their first name. So that's the A. The C is to compliment. Give them a compliment about something, anything. So often, so many of our students assume something negative when a teacher is coming to them because that's all the feedback they've ever gotten is what they aren't doing yet, what they've done wrong or what they need to do in the future. So when you acknowledge by name and then you give a compliment and the E stands for eye contact and proximity and you're looking at them, you see them and then you walk away. Yeah, we don't follow it up with and I need you to do this. And then you also need to do that. No, we're not going there right now. Remember, this is about connecting. This is about seeing them for them. So you're gonna acknowledge, you're gonna compliment, you're gonna give that eye contact that I see you, and you're gonna walk away. And the more you do this, the more you are strengthening that relationship with that student. Learn their story. And there is no one way to do this. There's no one size fits all. This is between you and the student, but get to know their story. I had a student last year that was very much, I, I, I saw me in this student and I said that to the student I said I see myself in you and and if you are okay with it I would love to tell you why that is and the student said okay and I explained I explained part of my story that I felt comfortable sharing and all I said at the end is I I am here when you when you trust in me to share your story back and that does not happen, have to happen today it doesn't have to happen tomorrow I'm not going anywhere so know that I'm always here it took three days. And that student sent me an email and said, can we meet and can we chat? And we did. <laughs> and that student is someone I have such a connection with today. And it all it took me saying was was asking permission to share my story and an open invitation to let that student know I was eager to learn their story when they felt safe to share it with me. See, I can't change what a student tells me or doesn't but I can change the language I use. I can change the intentions I have. I can change what I do to increase that connection, to increase their trust in me, but I cannot force anything to happen in them. Focus on that effort over that end product. Know that students know what they aren't doing. And I think that's really important to understand. I knew in class that I wasn't raising my hand. I knew in class I wasn't participating to, again, that predetermined standard that the teacher had. I knew I wasn't doing those things. I did not need to be reminded of those. But what I did need or what I was hopeful for was what what was I doing? (laughs) What did the teacher see? What was my purpose? And so when we can point out what we see, the effort we see over what we don't, then you are helping to build that student's momentum so the student knows you see them for them. Students know what they're not doing. They don't need us to remind them 10 times that they didn't do something. They know that, but what they do need it, to know is that you see them as a, as a person, as well as your student. Keep letting them know you are there. I cannot, I cannot express this enough. Keep sharing, keep showing up, keep asking questions, keep being there. Even if their response is none, they are hearing you. As somebody that lived this life for, for decades, they are hearing you. I can promise you that. They are hearing you and they are just waiting for that moment when they are ready to crack that smile back to you or to say thank you or to look at you with tears in their eyes saying, I don't know how I would how I would have done this without you. Keep showing up and find ways to communicate that work for them. We live in a, in a day right now where technology is at our fingertips. I work with so many students right now that they the way they communicate, with teachers or with staff that they need is through Google Chat. They will have, they will be in class focused, but they will be having a Google Chat conversation with the social worker, with the psychologist, sometimes with their parent, because that is what's keeping them there. So who am I to predetermine who they can and cannot talk to and when and where that can happen? Instead, remember short-term prevention, long-term intervention. That student has a pretty solid coping skill that works for them. And so I think... what I, what I hopefully is coming out of here is we've got to let go of these predetermined notions that we have as educators. And we've got to look at the students in front of us and say, how do I connect with each and every one in a way that's going to work for these students? And yes, that can be hard. And yes, it can be complicated, but it is oh so worth it. And as somebody that grew up quiet and as somebody that doesn't want to be quiet anymore unless I'm choosing my quiet time, I'm here to tell you, don't give up on the quiet one they want to be heard they want to be seen they just may not be ready don't give up on them and they're going to keep they're going to keep showing up the best that they can and trust in who you are as the educator but let's not give up on them thank you so much for tuning into this episode i know this episode is a little bit different than than some of my episodes before, but like I mentioned in the beginning, this is something that has been on my heart on my mind for quite some time and so I, I thank you for for listening and for you know being that being that that cheerleader, that coach, that champion for the students that we work with, including the quiet ones. Thanks everybody. Until next episode, have an amazing week and we'll talk soon.